Georgie. Don't eat with your hands. Why do you eat so fast? You can't even taste it. Don't tell me how to eat. You're wearing that shirt? You've had it for five years already. Why don't you buy a new shirt? Because I like this one. But I don't want to be a secondary character. Magnifico. <laughs> Magnifico. <laughs> Hello there, and uh, welcome to another episode of But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. My name is Stephen. My name's Ivan. Buongiorno. Buongiorno. Arrivederci. Arrivederci. We are recording live from Toscano. <laughs> <laughs> No, we're actually in, uh, as I said, Melbourne, Australia, and uh, every week we take a random episode of Seinfeld and talk about the secondary characters from it. And uh, this week, in case it's not obvious, we are talking about a uh, underrated, I always say that, but I, I think it's true in this case, an underrated season seven episode, The Doll. Yeah, episode 16 of that season. Actually, one, Stephen, for me, I know it's it's underrated for you, but I didn't really like this episode much. Oh, really? Yeah, it wasn't, didn't quite hit okay. for me. Yeah, Fair enough. So. Well, we'll talk a bit uh, at the end uh, about what we think about it and sure. where it sits uh, in our list of episodes we've done so far. Far. If you want to tell us what you think of the episode, you can email bidwabaskpodcast at gmail.com. You can say hello on social media as well. Uh, you can check out those links in our show notes. You can listen to all of our previous podcasts on your podcast app of choice. And uh, if you want to support us, it would be awesome if you rated us or reviewed us on said podcast apps. And uh, you can support us financially too. Yes, on Patreon for a couple of dollars US a month plus taxes, you get access to this episode earlier than everyone else. And you get bonus podcasts, season 11, the first six episodes or be seven episodes by the time this one comes out that you can listen to right away well ahead of everyone else several weeks ahead of everyone else and uh, you get Curbcast seasons two and three as a bonus so uh, check those out that's right and there are some other bits and pieces we've done lots of movie reviews over the years interviews with uh, Kenny Kramer and uh, Matt McCoy uh, and uh, lots of other bits and pieces so oh, yeah Check it out. Indeed. Finally, we do run the biggest Seinfeld community online. It's called Seinfeldisms. It's on Facebook. Check it out. Uh, we're over 120,000 members now. Uh, things are just starting for the year. We've got lots of awesome things coming up, including some trivia slash live tours of New York, which is really, really cool. Wow. Um, cool. Putting, putting the final touches on that this week. All right. Yeah. Uh, I will reveal the specifics on the group in the next, uh, well, by the time this episode comes out, it should be there. But uh, if you are listening on Patreon, yeah, basically it's going to be a trivia slash uh, virtual live tour of New York. I'm doing it with a company uh, who do live tours, but for COVID, with COVID now, obviously things are a bit different. Yeah, COVID won't be joining you on the tour. No. That's what you're wondering. Well, hopefully not. <laughs> hopefully not. <laughs> Unless there's some super strain that can infect you through a computer screen, mm-hmm, you should be safe. Yes. Uh, wear a mask just in case. Yeah, just in case. Yeah, and uh, all sorts of things, uh, especially like uh, working with uh, Kenny Kramer on yep. uh, a cool project and uh, lots of other cool things. So check it out. Very good. Anyway, speaking of Seinfeld isn't my friend, what Seinfeld related moments have happened? to you this week? Uh, well, nothing happened this last week since last recording. However, I do have one that I did miss in last week's episode. Uh, we took a few weeks off recording over the Christmas Festivus New Year's break, and uh, I did miss this one last week. But uh, I think it was the weekend before Christmas, around December 17, 18, I went out with uh, a few mates, and uh, out of nowhere, one of them got me an amazing Seinfeld t-shirt. Uh, and it, if anyone listens to Metallica, or even if you don't, you can check out the album cover, but their first album, Kill em All, it's got a very sort of classic Metallica logo on it. But this t-shirt is, uh, it says Del Boca Vista nice. in, in the um, in the font in the font in yeah. the Metallica font and then it's got a black and white picture of Morty on the phone screaming ah uh, uh, sweet yeah and then it says something 
something like, we're back, ba- oh, one of the lines from that episode where they're moving to Del Boca Vista, sure, sure. which funnily enough is actually, I think the episode prior to this one, to the doll, Ooh. it's a couple, because Frank mentions no. to George at the start of this episode that they're not moving to Del Boca Vista. Yeah, it might have been the one before. Yeah, or yeah, yeah, two yeah. before. Yeah. I'll put a post up on, on social media so you can check it out, but it's an amazing Seinfeld t-shirt <laughs> and one of the coolest presents I ever got. Very good. Because I love metal and I love Seinfeld and uh, it was just very thoughtful and unexpected and uh, I know you're not listening, Brody, but just in case you are, thank you so much. You're a legend and uh, still stoked. And you'll be wearing that shirt for the next five years and then you'll have a doll that looks like one of your relatives. Yeah. I'm going to make it. You're saying, you've had that shirt for five years. I'm going to make a doll that looks like Brody in honor of him. (laughs) Yeah. And then he'll say, Stephen, you've got to get a new shirt. Like, Brody, you're looking so scrumptious. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) I'll start making mannequins after Brody. Oh, no. (laughs) And he'll turn up to a clothing shop and it'll just be like him and he'll be like, what? Modeling that t-shirt. Oh, be, yeah, very meta, very weird. Very meta, indeed. Anyway, so, sorry, you, you had another Seinfeldism? No, I was going to ask if you had any. No, none this week, unfortunately. A pretty quiet week. And it's very hot Melbourne day. Yeah, it's a stinker today. It sure is. And I'm glad we're in the AC. Yes. Yes. Nice and comfortable. Indeed. Uh, anyway, Seinfeld news. Uh, again, a bit of a slower week. Last week, we only had two pieces. This we've only got one. And it's a little article I found uh, on page6.com, just sort of like a gossipy celebrity news website. Uh, and it talks a bit about about why Joe DiMaggio almost appearing in a uh, season three episode of Seinfeld. I can't remember which one, but the, the dunking episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. can't remember which one. So the article says that um, Joe's granddaughters were big fans of the show and really, really wanted him to appear on the show. And he almost did it. However, because he's such a private person, he basically didn't want his privacy to be compromised. And yeah, he, he valued his privacy over you yeah. know a celebrity appearance. Yeah. And in a funny coincidence, and this is according to a man by the name of Dr. Rock, Postiano. Rock Postiano. Rock Postiano. That's a cool name. That is a cool name. Yes. <laughs> it sounds like a Pokemon. <laughs> yeah. My name, my, what is it? My Norma, my no, is my Norma. My Norma, my Norma, Rock Postiano. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, I guess that's it then. Go away. He actually did this interview and you can check out uh, the whole interview in the link in the show notes. He said that Joe DiMaggio in real life actually was a dunker. He was a dunker, yeah. yeah so and the episode go. was actually, I, I remembered, it's actually the season three premiere, The Note. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Kramer comes in and Jerry's apartment and says, I saw Joe DiMaggio yep, yep. <laughs> dunking his donut. That's it. Yeah, Dunkin' yeah. his donut sounds like a euphemism, like, oh, he's Dunkin' his donut. Oh, nah. In this case, it's literal. Yeah, I don't think that would have happened. Uh, Rock Postiano in the interview went on to say that his favorite was a plain pound cake toasted on a grill uh, on one side only. Okay. And he had that, I guess, with his coffee or tea. Good and uh, he dunked his pound cake. So, yeah, there you go. Good for him. I don't know if that's a coincidence or if they knew that he was a dunker and then that's why they wrote it in the episode. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. It's either a huge coincidence or someone knew something about Joe DiMaggio or maybe one of the writers spotted Joe DiMaggio in real life. Yeah. He dunked his donuts. Who knows? Who well, knows? Not his donuts, but his pound cake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is pound cake? It's like it's like a plain. It's like I think we call it Madeira cake, maybe. I think it was like a dense kind of cake. Yeah, yeah, I think it's just like a plain like butter cake or something. Yeah, 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 something like that. Yeah, who knows? Uh, if you're American or if you know what pound cake is, let us know because I'm curious. Yeah, please. I mean, I could just look it up, but I'm more interested in hearing it from the uh, the, ho- the horse's mouth. Yeah, because we have from the pony's mouth. From the pony. <laughs> I had a pony. <laughs> I had a pound cake. <laughs> a pound cake. Um, but we like hearing like even though we know vaguely some American things like pound cakes and stuff. We love hearing your takes on it, especially yeah. American listeners. Yeah, a lot of the times we say, I think this is why this is or I think this is a thing in America, but it's always nice to have it confirmed from someone who actually lives in America or an American or both. Or both. Yes. And that's all the Seinfeld news for the week. Very good, mate. Let's have a really quick break. Uh, we only have a couple of characters to talk about today. Uh, so we are going to have a quick break and we'll talk about some secondary characters from Season 7, Episode 16, The Doll. Hello, folks. Matt McCoy here, a.k.a. Lloyd Braun from Seinfeld and I'm telling you right now 
I do not want to be a secondary character. The Doll from Season 7 first aired in the US on February 26, 1996, directed by Andy Ackerman and written by Tom Gamble and Max Pross. In this episode, George freaks out when he discovers that Susan, Heidi Swedberg, has a doll that looks exactly like his mother. And uh, props to the uh, designers, like the set designers for doing this doll. It looks fantastic. Yeah, I was listening to uh, Signcast on the way over here, and they were talking about this episode, and they made a really good point, and I agree with them. I'm not much of like a merch guy. I, I'm not very sentimental in that regard, but uh, if they made a uh, an official Seinfeld merch uh, item of the doll, that would be something that I'd definitely want to have. Yeah. That would be an awesome, you know, not just a t-shirt or a mug or something generic. If they made the doll, that would be a fantastic merch item for Seinfeld fans. <laughs> It'd be kind of creepy, though, having it would that be. in your room or in your lounge room or whatever. Yeah, it would be creepy, but yeah, I think it would be worth it. Maybe just put it in a cupboard and bring it out like once a year, Yeah, you know, on Festivus and have a look at it and then put it away. I'm sure they'd have to pay Estelle Harris royalties to have her likeness. Probably, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Seinfeld can afford it. Yeah. They're fine. <laughs> They're fine. Well, I hope Estelle gets some. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's a money. Jerry decides to use the issue with the doll as a bit on the Charles Grodin show when his prop gets destroyed in his carry-on luggage. But fellow comedian Sally Weaver, played by Kathy Griffin, screws up his bit by bringing him the wrong doll. And the original prop was a bottle of barbecue sauce from Memphis, Tennessee, which looked like Charles Grodin on the packet. Oh, yeah, apparently it had like a little picture of Charles Grodin. And it's a weird thing to... I mean, how long is a comedy bit normally on TV? Like five or seven minutes? You know, they come on and they'll do... You know, just five or six minutes set. I don't have any material. <laughs> yeah, we better get to work, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> what is a comedian without any material? It's I know. Just, Jerry's defense, though, is is valid when he's like, well, maybe I'd be able to if you weren't here, over here all the time. <laughs> yeah, all the you time. know, it's like, he's a bit yeah. salty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, like, well, I'm distracted. You know, I can't get in the in the comedy writing frame of mind. He kind of has a point. Yeah, yeah I think he does. <laughs> anyway, other secondary characters, of course, the Costanzas, Jerry Stiller and Estelle Harris appear. Uh, Mary Jo Keenan uh, appears as Dina, uh, one of George's ex-girlfriends, so. So, uh, I think she was the one where George ate the eclair. Was that her? No, no, no. Oh. She was the the daughter of the old man who lives across the road. The one who oh, thinks. Oh, Dina Lazari. Oh, yeah, yes, yeah. The yes, one yes, who the one who thinks is insane From and is trying gum. to trying to commit him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, of course. Yeah, and then in that episode is Ruthie Cohen as well. So it was such a good whoever thought of that idea in the script room to say, hey, George is acting crazy because he's talking to this doll yeah. in public at Monks where Ruthie works. Oh, of course, to Dina. Ha- yeah, yeah. To have yeah, Dina yeah. come back was a genius idea. Oh, yeah, Pop Lazari. Yeah, of yeah, course. Yeah. Oh, that's genius. And then I love when she turns to Ruthie. And Says that man needs to be in a sanitarium. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. It, if they didn't have that scene, it wouldn't wouldn't affect the the flow or the the story line at all. But it's yeah. such an intelligent callback. Yeah, not necessary, but perfectly like just a, a fantastic addition yeah it was a lovely callback to the gum yeah yeah and uh, the other secondary character john lizzie he plays the other guy from the three tenors aka jose Carreras. <laughs> <laughs> bit of trivia about the episode my friend the sign in giuseppe costanza's, sh- uh, costanza's shop window in tuscany says costanza import exports yes and obviously that's a reference to george costanza's imaginary job art vandalay uh, especially in the cadillac when elaine makes up that art vandalay is an importer exporter and uh hence gets in trouble uh, because he, they can't uh, decide what he imports or exports. That's right. Uh, what do you have? I've got a list of all the signs in uh, Frank's billiard room, uh, and I'll go through them. Um, some of them are quite convoluted, but uh, they're funny nonetheless. First one being, if they don't have a pool in heaven, uh, a pool hall in heaven, then I'm not going. Second one being, pool is not a matter of life or death. It is much more important than that. Third one being, the life of a pool hustler is hell, but somebody's got to do it. I like the next two because they're short and sharp. Rackham and pool hall. Yep. Pool hall's just very, I don't know, like it just explains what it is. Yeah, it's just factual. The place to be. The place to be. Pool 
pool hall, the place to be. The third last one is professional and amateur hustlers, which I kind of like as well. And then the second last one is keep your butt and butts off the table. And the final one being cold beer always, snacks sometimes, which I feel like you could put in any sort of sports room. You know, you could put that Mm. in like a pool hall or I don't know, like a pub or like a darts room. Anyway. But I wouldn't see Frank Costanza as a real big drinking man though. No, I don't think... I mean, no one really consumes a lot of alcohol on the show, but uh, you do see Estelle. I think it's in the scene when um, the maestro's there, when she's like, oh my God. She does come in actually with a tray. Oh, and she's got, got three beers. Like she's got three beers on there. Cans, yeah. yeah, and then a, a, a bowl or a, or a like a container of popcorn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. so, you know, having a beer or two with your mates while playing pool is, you know, yeah. you, you got to do it. Yeah, always having the cold beer, but having the popcorn once in a while. Yeah, beers, beer first, popcorn second. <laughs> That's right. And it's probably very well known to Seinfeld fans about the story of Kathy Griffin uh, being on the show. So Kathy Griffin, uh, who played Sally Weaver, she performed a stand-up comedy routine after filming this episode, and uh, she alleged in it that Jerry was actually rude to her during the making of the episode. And Jerry, of course, finding humour in everything in his life, he found it amusing and wrote her a humorous letter, as well as showed the clip of her routine to Seinfeld audiences. And uh, he wrote this whole thing into a later episode, the cartoon from season nine, uh, and had Griffin return as Sally Weaver once again. But she's like really digging, like really digging into Jerry. Yeah, I think the the play that she writes in. Um... Uh, the cartoon is Seinfeld is the Devil. Or yeah, Seinfeld the, the one Devil. Woman show. Yeah, yeah, the one woman right. show, Seinfeld is the Devil or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so again, they, they do this so much where they take a real life situation that happens to them accidentally or, or whatever and they just turn it into a, a funny storyline. Yeah. And then so. Newman's in the front row. This is my sixth time to yeah. see this. Yeah, loves it. so good. Yeah, it is. Uh, so yeah, that's the story. So I'm sure many Seinfeld fans already know it, but uh, yeah, it's very interesting for those yeah. who don't know. Yeah, I like when they do that, when they take something that could have been you know, negative and sort of spin it into a positive. Indeed. When Kramer, Maestro and Frank are playing pool, um, you do see Kramer in his boxer shorts. So I guess you could call this a bit of a goof, but he you know, may have changed his preference. In, I can't remember which episode, but uh, the episode where he's got fertility problems and he's trying to activate boxes his boys. Briefs. Boxes yeah, or briefs. Yeah, um, It'd be a bit, uh, you know, weird if he was wearing undies briefs. Yeah, yeah. Probably that's, a bit too revealing for that's network true. television. Well, I mean, he was wearing Calvin Klein briefs in, uh, again, I can't remember the episode oh, where yeah, he is, he was. You know, where pick. he becomes yeah, a Calvin yeah, Klein yeah. model. Yep. So, the pick, yeah, I think, yeah. Maybe not so much. But yeah, in that episode, he does say that he hates boxes because uh, he doesn't like his, his junk. Hmm. you know swinging around he doesn't say it like that but that's what he kind of infers yeah uh, and that he uh likes wearing underwear so he must have changed preferences yeah people change yeah sometimes that's true <laughs> yeah most of the time <laughs> kramer not so much uh he's always the same but uh yeah maybe he just had another preference for different undies yeah hmm. i don't know maybe he got used to the boxes <laughs> maybe he loved it but anyway enough about undies do you have, actually do you have any other trivia uh look uh, there's lots of trivia listed yeah. here but for the sake of uh getting on with it i'll uh forego those do you nah that's it man anyway let's talk about our two or three secondary characters today let's start with Bob Cobb, the maestro. Sure. Played by Mark Metcalf. Uh, he's known for Animal House, Oscar, and One Crazy Summer. Uh, he's also, funnily enough, Stephen, I was looking through his credits, he's appeared as a character called The Master in eight episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, right. Yeah, I was like, The Maestro, The Master. He must uh, have really liked auditioning role for roles that have like the something yeah. with M being the, the first letter of the title, like The Maestro, The Master. I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> well, maybe they contacted him. They're like, hey, he used to be The Maestro, Mark. Do you want to be The Master? True. Master? Yeah, and it's like mm-hmm. Mark Metcalf, Master, Mark. Mark, Metcalf, Maestro. A lot of M's going on. Yeah, that's right. A lot of alliteration. Yes. This is his second and final appearance on the show, and he debuts in his own episode, uh, The Maestro, which we haven't actually done yet. We've yeah. got 11 more episodes to go after this one, and The Maestro hasn't been done. Okay. So that's going to be one of our final episodes. So this is actually, in the whole history of Bidwell Basque so far, this is the first time we're going to talk about The Maestro in the history of the show. Yeah, I think we've probably mentioned him at some point, yeah. but uh, we've never actually talked about him extensively. Mm-hmm. And for such a, I wouldn't call him a major secondary, but a popular secondary, or a significant secondary, the fact that uh, it's taken this long to mention uh, is surprising. And I was saying to 
Ivan before we started recording that I thought he was one of those characters that was in maybe if you just had to quiz me spontaneously how many episodes is he in and I had to give you an answer in one second I'd say five yeah four or five yep. the fact that he's only in two is surprising to me yeah, it's kind of almost like Sally Weaver too yeah like you think maybe she's in like five episodes yeah but she's only in two yeah I guess in their respective episodes they're such major secondary characters there's a lot of plot and a lot of scenes with them and they and really in, chew in your, the scenery don't yeah they? and in like, your mind you yeah. sort of spread them out over four or five episodes <laughs> so yeah so surprising it feels like four or five episodes condensed in dog two yeah basically yeah, essentially anyway yeah the maestro so uh, I guess we can talk about him more in the context of this episode we learn obviously more about him in his namesake episode uh, the maestro he loves Jose Carreras in particular I mean he loves the three tenors but I think he likes Jose Carreras so much that uh, he forgets the other two names yeah I was thinking why would he like I mean they're obviously they're all very talented in their own right and I'm sure Jose just has as many fans as uh, Domingo and uh, Pavarotti I was thinking maybe for the maestro because he wants to be you know a highly reputed a reputable maestro you know he wants to be successful and respected in that world and what's his name again the other guy uh-huh, the other guy you know is is sort of I guess the least well known out of the three tenors um, maybe he sort of there's like a, an affinity for him because he's a bit of an underdog yeah I felt like there was like an underdog mentality yeah. which is why he likes Jose yeah, yeah. you know whereas Pavarotti and, and um, Domingo. Domingo again I'm sure he respects their talent and I'm sure he doesn't dislike them but their story or their position in that world isn't something that he can relate to yeah whereas the other guy is you know yeah. does have that so it's, it's kind of like saying your favorite beetle is ringo star yeah you know it's yeah. like everyone would think paul mccartney john lennon even george harrison yeah but ever but you know saying ringo is my favorite it's like, yeah oh, you okay, can sweet. you can admire the other three for their talents and what they've done for the beatles but uh yeah if you do tend to go for the underdog ringo is probably going to be your your favorite beetle yeah or, or like the that. drummer before them <laughs> yeah or, the short-lived one who was yeah. there for like a year yeah i forgot his name pete yeah. best was that his name i think it was pete best yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Poor dude. Yeah, that's an underdog. <laughs> yeah. It's like that guy who um, ordered pizza, I think it was like, I don't know, six months after Bitcoin came out. Right. And um, so I think someone, it was in Britain and someone offered to pay him like, I don't know, 500 Bitcoins for a pizza. And he's like, what a Bitcoin sort of thing. Oh, wow. I'm not I'm not taking that. Yeah. Give me real money. Well, I think it's it might not be exactly that, but it's something similar to that. And it's just one of those stories of like, you know, people turning down something, not knowing that in 10 years, it's going to be a hugely regrettable decision. Yeah. So what's Bitcoin worth now? Like 20 grand, <laughs> 30 grand? No, it's it's it ticked over 40 a couple 40, of days ago, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is, that's 40 American. So I think it's about 55 Australian. And having 500 Bitcoin. <laughs> I mean, that's $2.5 billion. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yeah, huge. Ah, oh, finally we can go back in time, eh? I know, <laughs> I know, I know. Oh, well. Yeah, so that's why I think, obviously, we agree about why uh, he likes the other guy. Because, you know, he feels that he's not getting his due or his respects or, you know, that he deserves more success than he's getting. Yeah. Because he's not playing the big gigs. No, he's playing in a convalescent home for yeah. the police band. Yeah. Yeah. I do like the fact that even though he's playing such sort of low-rent gigs, he still treats them very seriously. He treats the art form very seriously. I mean, he does come across as a bit sort of aloof and a bit wanky. Yeah. The fact that he wants to be referred to as the maestro I think not Bob Cobb not Bob Cobb I mean if I had a name like Bob Cobb fair enough being uh, wanting to be addressed as something else but just say my name's Bob and just don't say your last name or, you know, Robert, Robert, yeah. Robert G. Cobb or change your last name. I don't know. So, yeah, he is a bit sort of full of himself. But I do respect the fact that even though he's playing at such a low level, he does pay respect and have a lot of pride in what he does. I, I admire that. Yeah, I think he it's one of two things. I think it's either he's got the talent, but he doesn't quite have the contacts yeah. or the you know drive or not probably not the drive, but he doesn't quite have the charisma yeah. or whatever to kind of go higher or he's not as good. As you know, he's not doesn't have the potential to like sell out stadiums or yep. whatever or arenas. Yeah. But he's just got enough just to do you know volunteer work for the community. Yeah. Yeah. 
But I mean, do people do maestros themselves sell out arenas? Isn't it oh, more no, for, no, isn't it more saying, for the orchestras? No, I'm sorry. I mean, like if you're conducting like a big symphony, like say the yeah. New York Symphony Orchestra or right. London Symphony Orchestra, yeah. you know, it's either like I said, I wasn't sure either if he if he number one has the ability to conduct something of that magnitude, uh, and maybe he just doesn't have the charisma or the contacts or anything to go higher. Yep. Or he has the talent, but maybe he's just contempt to stay, you know, in like the local level, yeah. doing things with the community. Yeah, maybe he'd rather be a big fish in a small pond than a yeah. potential small fish in a big pond yeah i always just put it down to you know i imagine there's not many positions available at that level and mm. there's a lot of people vying for them and i think and, it's and definitely for him like a part like maybe like a part-time gig yeah maybe just like even volunteer yeah know, he just yeah. does it for don't think he's making a lot of money no. given given the audience size at the convalescent home which is like what 30 in the crowd yeah, 20 yeah. 30 don't think he's making much money no and i mean the musicians are going to get paid as well of course yeah i i was just thought it was just he is one of many 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 people who are vying for those elite positions and unfortunately most people have to lose out yeah because it's just too many you know too many predators grazing the herd out of the five or ten which is on the a-list you got the other twenty thousand that didn't make it exactly yeah yeah but again i still like the fact that he i'm sure on some level it does bother him and that's why he relates to the other guy but he still respects the art form enough to take it seriously even at that level i do admire that yeah he he has he definitely loves what he does yeah Yeah. you can tell there's a genuine passion when he talks about it uh you know it's obvious to see it's plain to see that he really deeply loves and cares for conducting and classical opera music i mean you know he's playing pool with his mates and he stops and he's like I have to conduct and he just starts conducting in front of you know I mean Kramer's not so much of a stranger but Frank is yeah people he doesn't know that well the fact that he loves it that much he doesn't really care what these strangers think of yeah. him says a lot about his love for the art form I love that scene where Frank you know Kramer's trying to show Frank how to hit the ball yep. and he's like behind him yeah and then the maestro no one has their pants on and the maestro's conducting you know to the music and Estelle walks in like I'd probably look at the same thing I'd probably be like what the hell yeah you'd be <laughs> very confused it's like she walked into the worst moment yeah and it's moment. and it's it's um uh similar to when she walks into the bro oh yeah you know and uh they're sort of dancing a bit and i don't know it's it's not sexual but it's a bit like just kind of awkward yeah it's, it's awkward, like it's yeah. like mildly homoerotic but it's not like overtly no no it's no. um and it's just strange like walking <laughs> into your ex-husband you know during the bro and your husband in this and kramer's involved and there's like music and there's like something weird in the background yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. just yeah it's odd to see it's odd to see so i can see so it happened to estelle twice <laughs> yeah it's like oh my god and estelle's like a pretty sort of like old school kind of sheltered person Very traditional person, you know yeah. so seeing that would you know for us it would just be like oh that's a bit odd but i don't think we'd read too much into it but for her it's probably a bit more of a bigger deal uh, i I'd think that's pretty weird, you know. Oh, you, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't, I don't know, you wouldn't think, it was, like, I would think it was weird, but I wouldn't automatically think it was bad. Oh, no, no, or, no. Or, like, there's something troubling going on. It's just that, oh, I didn't expect that. That's really, <laughs> that's really strange. It's something after, that I would never conjured up in my mind. No, but after an explanation, you go, oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, but no, for, but, for, but yeah. for her, it's just like almost like surreal. Hysterical. Yeah, it's hysterical. just like, what's going yeah. on? <laughs> that's right. Yeah. He likes playing pool as well. I feel like he probably, he's not like a huge pool, like, shark or a no. fan. I think he just wanted to, you know, hang out with Kramer and Frank. Yeah, look, I, I think the maestro is someone who maybe doesn't have a lot of friends because yeah. of that aloofness and because of that sort of awkwardness that a lot of people, they wouldn't know how to act around him because he's always, like, he's a nice guy. Like, he's not offensive or he's not he's not unpleasant guy. But if I met someone and they were like, you need to refer to me as the maestro, I'd be like, like, I'd just be confused and awkward about it. I'd be like, what do I, like, I don't, it's so uncomfortable. So the fact that he's got an opportunity to socialize with people, I think is just something he values because he doesn't get it a lot because he's kind of an oddball. And he also enjoys a very niche subject. Yeah. Like classical music. I'm sure that there's many fans of classical music, but he probably hasn't really found anyone to talk to about it. Because obviously at the time there were no chat rooms. 
Yeah. You know, there was no Reddit. There was no Facebook. I yep. think now he'd probably thrive more. Yeah. You know, if he went on social networks. Yeah, and it's harder to find a community. Social. Yeah, it was very hard. So I think, and plus I think he's probably, he appears to be so full of himself that he comes off as like very pompous. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. people can't really resonate with him. Yeah. 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 So I think just the opportunity to socialize, doing whatever, he's like, oh, cool. Like people actually want to hang out with me. I'll, uh, I'll do that. Yeah. That's yeah. It. You know, mm-hmm. but I mean, I'm sure to his uh, chagrin much, uh, much later because his uh, conductor stick. What's it called? Oh, is the, it a conductor stick? I think it's the the bat baton. Bat, the baton? baton bat baton baton is uh, is bent out of shape. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the fact that he doesn't notice that before he starts conducting because he would have picked it up from Frank and yeah. Estelle's. He would have seen it, and it's it's obviously something that they. It's like a baseball in their baseball glove. It's like it's like part of them. It's not just a generic thing. Like drummers go through drumsticks like they're like they're nothing. No drummers like value drumsticks because they're just a tool you use. Whereas I I would assume that a maestro or again a baseball player or someone who uses a thing over and over again it's like it's so important to them that they were protected like a child so the fact that he doesn't realize it's bent until when he conducts and he had it before it before that is very odd to me yeah that was a very huge plot hole yeah like, uh, yeah that, that's another reason why i didn't like this episode just plot holes like that yeah it's like it just doesn't make sense yeah like i know it can be a bit it's like it's okay if it's a bit nonsensical you yeah. can suspend your disbelief but when shit like that happens it's yeah. like come on man you didn't know yeah. from like going into the pool room to do your set, you didn't know that the thing was broken. It's yeah, like, the only man. the only thing I can think of that would explain it is that you know he realized that he left it at Frank and Estelle's, and for some reason he didn't have enough time to go back there and pick it up himself. And like Frank or Kramer dropped it off at the convalescent home, you know, as a favor or something like that. And he didn't see it between when he left it at Frank and Estelle's and when he started conducting. But again, given how much value I assume he would place on it, being that it's the tool of his art form, I don't think he would have left it behind. No. Or if he did, he would have been he would have made sure to go and pick it up himself. You know, it's very protected and valuable. Mm. So, yeah, not frustrating, but just like a bit like uh, yeah, a, bit, a major oversight. He just sounds like a very irresponsible person. Yeah. 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 That's all I really had about the maestro in this episode. I mean, there is a callback to Tuscany because in the yep. maestro, he claims that Tuscany, there's no places to rent in Tuscany. Yeah, and Jerry, try, Jerry goes through all that stuff, even going as far as going to the mafia by yeah. mistake yeah, to find right. out if it's true. And then he's kind of suckered in to rent it out, yeah. which is funny. But yeah, I like how there's a throwback to Tuscany as well, yep. you know, based on that. It was a good little good little reference. Yeah. Do you think it was a bit harsh of him? Because Elaine says, you know, he's a great guy. They really got along. He liked Elaine enough to invite her to Tuscany. But just because she spilled something on his his poster again he's a massive fan of the other guy and he would really value that poster but to like to be so bothered or offended by that that he doesn't call her like that's pretty pretty harsh yeah you know like it i think elaine already knew that things you know they weren't going to get back together true she was she was just doing this to you know get some stuff done yeah but yeah she probably thought when she saw the wine store she's like oh i better leave yep she's out (laughs) yeah oh no i mean because she says you know that i don't feel comfortable calling the maestro oh you mean for the photo yeah yeah yeah. you know because since they got back from tuscany he hasn't called her no because she spilled because she ruined the first poster yeah and i'm like if that's the only reason for him not to call her that's pretty harsh yeah you know maybe maybe there was other aspects of the personality he didn't like and that was the final straw he's i don't just know being a prima donna yeah i think so he's just yeah. he's so wrapped up in that world that a spillage of a poster whilst you know fair enough he's a bit ticked off or bothered but to use that as an excuse to not call someone you've spent a holiday with in another country is like uh, to him it's a literal stain on the art form yeah it's it's yeah he takes it a bit too seriously a it's, bit too seriously. It's just a poster indeed you know <laughs> 
Anyway, um, do you have anything else on him? No, that's it. Yeah. Anyway, like I said, The Maestro, it's one of our very last episodes. We've already planned our remaining 11 episodes. So I think it's like fourth, fifth, last. Okay. I'm pretty sure. So around that time. So we'll announce it when the time comes. But we'll talk about him in more detail yep. in that one because that's his namesake episode. Anyway, let's talk about Sally Weaver. She's played by actor and comedian Kathy Griffin. Uh, she also appears in the cartoon from season nine, which we have done an episode for, like I said. This is her first and first of two times on the show in this episode. Uh, she's known for her Emmy award-winning role in reality show Kathy Griffin, My Life on the D-List. She's also appeared in the films The Cable Guy and Hall Pass, and she's had a supporting role in TV sitcom Suddenly Susan mm. from the 90s. Sally Weaver. Now, whatever you think of Kathy Griffin, I, like, I think Sally Weaver's an annoying character, yeah. but I think she's deliberately annoying. Yeah. She's written that way, so it's not Kathy's fault. Like I said, say what you will about Kathy Griffin, whatever you think, but yeah, I, I don't really like Sally Weaver. <laughs> I think she's annoying. Yeah, in uh, Seinfeldisms, a Facebook group that we run, a common post is your most hated character and nine times out of ten it's Sally Weaver she's usually the most hated she's or number Susan two Ross. for me oh, Susan yeah well I'm, I'm, after doing the podcast I appreciate Susan she's one of my favourites yeah no I yeah. really like Susan but I get why a lot of people don't yeah number two for me is worst is Sally Weaver yep. number one's The Wiz yep. yeah yep. The Wiz is the Wiz very is very annoying very very annoying a lot of people also don't like Toby she's one of Jerry's girlfriends I can't remember which episode oh she's the like the really like the one who loses her pinky toe oh you know, she's great, really great Right. Yeah, oh, from the fire. Yeah. Yeah, 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 she's a different kind of annoying though. Yeah, I, I don't think she was Jerry's girlfriend. No. Oh no, she no, was Kramer's mate. girlfriend. Sorry, Kramer's girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, yeah my mistake. Elaine's co-worker. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, she's a yeah, but she's also annoying. But she was kind of she was funny though. She was yeah. annoying but funny. But yeah, Sally Weaver. I don't know. I just she's just really frustrating. You know who she reminds me of? Mm. She reminds me of Jerry's manager. You know the one who? Oh uh, yeah. You know how he's got that manager, that assistant for a few episodes, a couple episodes. Just makes assumptions and goes with them. And goes with them. It's the same thing. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's like, but yeah. So, but instead. Like Sally, you know, Jerry will say, oh, I need this brand of barbecue sauce. But Sally says, oh, no, that one in Memphis is no good. Yeah. Here's this one. Yep. You know, like this one's better, but she doesn't understand. Like she can't really just read the room. No, she's yeah. sort of, I don't know, she's a bit arrogant, I guess. A bit arrogant as well. Obviously, she's from Memphis. So yep. she knows, you know, about barbecue sauces and yeah. stuff. And uh, Yeah. It's this sort of like assumed knowledge of what people actually really want. It's like, no, no, you don't want that. Yeah. You, want, you actually want what I think you want. That's right. Which is, yeah, quite, quite obnoxious and quite arrogant. Quite obnoxious, I know. <laughs> yeah. And, no, she actually, she, well, she went to college with Susan. She obviously not in Memphis. They went to college. I'm, I'm guessing they went to somewhere in New York. Yeah. And uh, she was a, a college roommate of Susan's. That's how they know each other. And uh, she's an executive in FedEx. Yeah. And uh, again, much to Jerry's frustration, he's like, why didn't she ship it? And she like, was coming here in a few days anyway. Yeah. You know, and it was this big box for a bloody doormat. A doormat. <laughs> you know. That is just, that is insane. Yeah. I mean, that's that's where the humor of this episode comes that's from. Right, just yeah. how frustrating it is and how unaware she is of what she's doing. Very unaware. Yeah, no, she's like you think working at FedEx. Yeah, be like, oh, I can just get it shipped. Yeah, you know, for free because yeah. I work there. Yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> If she's like, oh, I'm not coming up to New York because I'm so busy at work. Can you please take this? It's a favor. Yeah. Not just, I'll oh, take it up because it's coming a couple of days before and I can save a bit of money. You know, I imagine she'd probably get free postage anyway. She's a bloody executive. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> oh, it's so, so, so Yeah, annoying. she does. Like, the character does my head in. Yeah, she's <laughs> yeah. Uh, she's a punish. Yeah. <laughs> and like I said, there's characters like Toby who are annoying, but they're funny yeah. too. But nothing against Kathy herself. Like, yeah. Kathy did well with, with what she did. But yep. this character is just shit. Yeah. She is... 
a punish. She is like the Jar Jar Binks of Seinfeld. That is a pretty good, yeah, I can't really fault that. Sally, not not Kathy. No, no, Sally. you keep saying Sally. that. It's all good. Yeah, 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 yeah it's yeah. fine. Yeah, everyone knows we're talking about Sally. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I would. I think that's a fair comparison. Yeah, yeah. Just like, fair. why are you part of this show? I like, agree who, with- Who wrote yeah, you? Yeah. The only thing that I do like, and we did talk about this a bit before we started recording, was that I do, I guess now that I think about it, it's not that I respect Sally as a character, or it doesn't make me like her, but I respect the writers for writing such an annoying character. Yes. Knowing that she's going to be hated and that she's such a pest and so frustrating for Jerry and everyone else, George as well. You know, that takes a bit of guts to write a character that they know, you know, especially when Kathy is acting the script out. They're looking at that footage going, people are going to hate. You would just know. You, people yeah. are going to hate this character. But that was their intention. Yeah. yeah. I, I do respect that sort of gutsy decision to write someone so hateable and uh, so detested even to this day. I, I was saying before that it, it made me like the character, but it actually, now that I think about it, makes me like the writers. The writers. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. the char- yeah, the character's just so frustrating. And I, I agree with many of our wonderful fans on Seinfeldism. Sally Weaver is one of the worst characters. Yeah. But, but me, but yeah, like I, I can separate fantasy from reality. Yeah. So this isn't, you know, I'm, I'm talking about Sally Weaver here. And I think a lot of people don't like Sally Weaver probably because of Kathy Griffin, yep. especially like what she did a few years ago, which I won't mention. You obviously all know what happened. Yeah. I think that probably plays a part in a lot of people not liking Sally yeah. Weaver too. Yeah. Kathy Griffin is a very divisive person and also a very divisive comedian. Yeah. She's one of those comedians that people either love or hate because her comedy is can be quite grating. I think it's her voice, which is not her fault. And the way she speaks in her delivery is also quite, can be quite sort of full on. She's a very intense person, high energy. I actually listened to her a couple of weeks ago on a political podcast. We won't get into politics, sure. but she did mention uh, that thing that she did a couple of years ago that got her into all sorts of trouble. Mm-hmm. You know, even an interview where she's just being herself talking about the fallout from that and all that, even that interview was quite intense to listen to, you know, because she's just that sort of high energy, super like almost like ADHD. She's just like full on. She's always so, on. Yeah. Yeah. So I get why people may take a dislike into her purely because of that. But yeah, write that into a character, someone who just completely undermines Jerry and everyone else around her at every cost. Yeah, I get why she's universally... Actually, a few people don't mind her, but I yeah. would say 99% of people just don't have any time for her no, at all. Don't. Nope. Yeah, but yeah, but she was there mostly to give Jerry a hard time. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Because Jerry was a victim of circumstance. Yeah, that's it. I was just thinking her being an executive in FedEx and Susan... I mean, I know she's not an executive at this point, but she was an executive at NBC. I'm going to guess maybe they went to... Like, you know, uh, obviously, yeah, business school. Maybe they both got, uh, what are they called? Not PhDs. Uh, MBAs. MBAs. Yeah. Yeah, You know, like, because most executives, you know, especially those who work in like big corporations usually have MBAs. Yeah. They've got qualifications. Yeah. So I would assume that maybe they met at business school or, you know, they they did a a similar undergrad as well. And then they've got separate MBAs. Yeah. But the fact that, yeah, they're both similar age. They're both executives uh, in big, you know, FedEx is a massive, was and probably still is at the time. Maybe Amazon is now Mm. uh, the biggest sort of like private delivery company um, at the time in America and you know NBC was and may still be one of the biggest sort of you know TV so they're, they're, television channels yeah so yeah. They're, they're you know they're high achievers they probably went to like an elite like Wharton Business School or something like that or, yeah. or Harvard Business School or something like that yeah I mean Sally is an intelligent person yeah. to go through all that and get her MBA yeah but socially she's just yeah. terrible completely off completely off she yeah. can't read the rooms like no you'll say I want an orange she'll say oh I, no, no, there you, were oranges but I, I th- you I, actually I like want apples. an apple I like apples yeah. so I think you should have one yeah it's like just just don't get it with Japanese TV business people. Oh, you want yeah. oranges? They'll be like, why are you giving me oranges? Is this customary in your culture? <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, uh, <laughs> uh, no. you're a punish and I don't know why you want oranges. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, anyway, yeah, Sally Weaver, 
Don't like her. Don't like her. Good. No. All right, let's talk about our final secondary character who we have talked about in the past, Frank Costanza. Um, you can find out more about him in our 10th ever episode, What's the Deal with the Seinfeld Parents, where we talk about him in full detail. But something, Stephen, that you mentioned before we started recording, we talked about so many things about Frank over the history of this podcast, never really spoke about his Italian heritage, which is what you wanted to touch on. Yeah, I do vaguely recall at some point we have said that his last name being Costanza, he does have Italian heritage, but beyond that, we haven't actually talked about what they show in the show, which is done in this episode. I don't know, it's just like an interesting little aspect to his character. The fact that they he goes all the way to Italy. He's obviously got some... It feels like in this episode that he's got some longing to reconnect maybe with, because he did live in Italy until he was four. And yeah, he, he moved was over. Yeah, yeah. And when he talks about, at the in the opening scene, when he talks about how his, uh, his... I think his father and his uncle were separated and he used to play with his cousin. He used to play with Carlo. That's right. You can sort of sense like a bit of pain, a bit of longing maybe in his voice, you know, and he moved to America at a young age and, you know, grew up in America and he's like a culturally speaking he's an American person but uh, you know I can understand why there would be especially later in life you know when you when your family's grown up a bit and you've got more time to think about your life so far it's common for people to sort of think about who am I where did I come from what are my family you know you just want to reconnect with your past so I think I think he was thinking about this stuff generally and then the photo being mentioned by Elaine just sort of like made him, you know, his eyes light up and go, oh, yeah, I really want to I want to track that down. And I think that's, yeah, because he feels kind of a loss or something is missing. Something part of, is his, missing, part yeah. of his heritage. Yeah, um, yeah because he's yeah. not a very, you know, not that all Italian-Americans are the same people. Well, obviously, they're not the same people, but, you know, there is a stereotype. There is a, a, a cultural sort of normalcy amongst a lot of them, I guess, with which applies to pretty much every group of people. But Estelle and Frank aren't your typical Italian-American people. They don't sort of identify identify with it culturally they don't sort of have that accent they don't you know there's not much on show of that heritage so i think that is another reason why you know i don't know i'm I'm getting a bit deep here but yeah you're going very deep yeah well i'm just i'm just sort of you know, thinking out loud. I'm just thinking that, you know, if you identify with a certain culture, like we'll use Italians, for example, if you were born, if you're first generation Italian American or Italian Australian, but you still have a lot of that culture in your Australian or American life, you know, you eat the food, you speak the language. You have 50,000 people over for dinner. Yeah. Yeah. That I think is enough to scratch that cultural itch. You're like, well, I'm not in Italy being Italian, but there's enough of that here in my life in Australia or America or wherever you happen to live that even though I'm American or Australian or Canadian, I've still got a strong connection to my Italian heritage but because that doesn't seem to be prevalent at all in Frank and Estelle's life as far as we can see I think that makes him have this like sort of building up of a loss of who he was almost like an identity crisis yeah maybe sort of, something in terms like of that. like heritage yeah 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 yeah. I feel like and especially because at that age you know Frank at the time is one in his 60s yeah maybe mid 60s yep. he's probably thinking I don't probably have another 10 20 years to live yeah I'd ra- I want to go back one last time and see Italy yeah and you know, reconnect with my family before I pass yeah it's just like a a, a deep sort of itch that he wants to scratch he you know there's a longing there there's a missing element of his life that he wants to explore and uh yeah the opportunity to potentially or he thinks pretty confidently to see carlo um, <laughs> oh no carlo's not carlo not here yeah yeah it's like <laughs> eh, 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 okay, it's like, eh, eh, and i love how eh, jerry stiller plays him too yeah. He's like, eh, eh. yeah he's like eh, eh, eh. Mi namo, mi namo Giuseppe. but i'm just thinking now maybe he doesn't care that much because he just gives up he's like oh okay all right bye and he just sort of walks away and you assume he just gets on the plane and flies back home 
home. Maybe he was just after Carlo. I don't know. He just wanted to reconnect with Carlo. Yeah, but you think that he would go, okay, well, this guy's not Carlo Costanza. There's probably other, you know, Costanzas in the local area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know, but he just he's just like, oh, okay, well, I was wrong. Bye. And Oof. he just, you know, jumps on the plane back home. And it's like, maybe he doesn't care. I don't no, know. Yeah, who knows? I, maybe, I, I, I don't know. Maybe he just didn't exceed his expectations going to Tuscany. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. He just it's, had a uh, change of heart. He's like, uh, yeah. Yeah, maybe this isn't worth it. No. Maybe I'm not that. Maybe I'm not missing something no. that I thought I was missing. I don't know. But it's, it's just, you know, he's so invested. You know, he's trying to convince people. He's like, this is Carlo. And he's like so obsessed with it. Yeah, he just gets and over I, it. Yeah. And it's like, fair enough that that would be like, oh, well, I thought you were Carlo. You're not Carlo. But if you're still that determined, you'd be like, okay, well, there might be someone else living around here who is Carlo or who knows Carlo. Yeah. But, it's just like, eh. And because it's a post credit scene as well, they yeah. couldn't drag it out. No. I know. Yeah. I know. I'm just saying it's, it's sort of like, weird, it's, such yeah. a, it's such a strange right turn considering how obsessed he is throughout the episode yeah. of finding Carlo or connecting with his heritage. He's just like, oh, oh, well. Oh, okay. Well. All right. Bye. <laughs> yeah. It's it's odd. He's just a cynical, angry person. Yeah. But uh, I do really like Giuseppe Costanza. He's just yeah. like, eh, 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 eh. Oh, he's hilarious. Beautiful. Yeah. He's a stereotypical Italian man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, eh, eh. <laughs> And he says like it almost sounds sounds like he says like Gestapo or something. He's like a Gestapo or like Gaspacho or something <laughs> like that. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. Just, it's he, like eh, eh. He pulls out random random. <laughs> yeah. I think they're just like say Italian sounding things. Yeah, yeah. Ferrari, lasagna, fettuccine. Yeah. Apparently, maybe you'd be able to verify this, maybe. but I did read. I think it's in the trivia actually that my namo e oh, minamo di minamo yeah. e Giuseppe is not the correct way. It's apparently no. like it's like me. Oh, it's here. It's like me. No, mio, mio nome, mio nome di Giuseppe. Oh, okay. This this says. What does it say? Mi chiamo. Oh, mi, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mi, mi chiamo. chiamo. Yeah, mi yeah, chiamo yeah. Giuseppe. I am. I am. Yeah. I am Giuseppe. Yeah, mi chiamo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the direct so. translation is I call myself Giuseppe. Yeah, or it's mi I chiamo. am. It's, I am it's Giuseppe. It's also like I am Giuseppe. Right. Yeah, yeah, same thing. Okay. Yeah, it's like it's like I'm I'm Ivan. Yeah, Stephen, yeah, I call myself Ivan. Yeah, yeah, I call myself we'll, Ivan. We'll introduce ourselves like that at the next, at the uh, start of the next podcast. Welcome to another episode of But I Want to Be a Secondary Character. I call myself Stephen, and this is my other host who calls himself Ivan. <laughs> yeah, <that's it. laughs> that'll be very formal. Well. Very formal. Yes, Mickeyamo Stephen. Mickeyamo Stephen. Yes. So yeah, he had a very uh, short fascination with trying to reconnect with his heritage, and yeah. then he just gives up. Yeah, it's just like yeah, whatever, <laughs> whatever. Yeah, I'm gonna go play pool. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a pool room waiting for me. That's right, a billiard parlor. A billiard parlor. Sorry, that's it. the place to be. Any other character? No, that's it. Excellent. Very short one today. Let's have one more break. And when we come back, we're going to find out where the doll sits in our episodes that we have done so far. And there's not many left. We finish on the 31st of March. That's our final episode. What's going on in here? Are you two still playing? You've been up here three hours. We still haven't finished the first game. First game? Well, we're still uh, learning the subtleties of the table. Who knows the maestro? He could have the picture. Oh, forget about it. It's not your cousin. You don't know that! Okay, as usual, uh, every week we rank the uh, episode where it sits in the number of episodes we've done so far. Where does this one sit for you? Yeah, so out of 158 episodes, uh, 143. Oh, right. Yeah, one which I, I, I said a lot of plot holes, much like the maestro with the baton. Uh, just, I don't know, Sally Weaver brought it down a lot for me as well. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I, I found there was some plot holes and some things weren't funny. Like some some scenes for me just weren't funny. Fair enough. Like usually in Seinfeld, I, I laugh out loud at several episodes several things but i don't know this one it was okay i mean also the george the whole doll thing i mean the doll was was kind of funny but it kind of fell flat after a while and there wasn't really like a big payoff with the doll yeah you know frank just comes in and rips the head off i thought there'd be something bigger yeah you know, i thought it'd be something that would change the whole dynamics of the family or yeah the only payoff is that it sort of confirms george's you know take on the doll yeah you know it sort of indicates him a bit because susan's like it doesn't look like him but that's yeah there's not much of a payoff there's not much of a payoff 
yeah, they're just nothing. There was nothing really. The stakes weren't really that high. Okay, you know that, that was that was me. But uh, what about you? Uh, yeah, 121 for me. So not quite as low, but uh, I share similar thoughts about why I didn't like it. I really did like Kramer in this episode. Oh yeah, actually Kramer was Kramer great. for me was easily the standout. And normally uh, it's Frank Costanza who is the standout, and he was fantastic in this episode. Don't get me wrong, especially as uh, Giuseppe. But uh, Kramer, just especially at the start when uh, he's trying to save the sauce off the off the clothes in the luggage, oh, yeah. and he starts eating it with the bread. And then he call and then he says, says to Jerry like, "What's wrong with you? Like I'm trying to save the sauce." And yeah, Jerry's like, "What like, are you doing? Normal, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah, like, yeah. What's wrong with you? What's your problem? <laughs> Whatever." Yeah, Kramer in this episode was great. Yeah, and Frank, I think those two guys made it better than better than what it would have been without them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, that were really the highlight of the episode for me. The other subplots, eh. Yep. Whatever. Any of the secondaries appear in your top 20? No, but a uh, special dishonorable mention to Sally Weaver. Okay. You? She's in your bottom 20. Yeah. You? She's your bottom second? Second, yeah. Second yep. worst. Behind the whiz. Behind the whiz. Yep. 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 Number 20 for me oh, is, okay. uh, She's in. is Giuseppe Carlo. Uh, Giuseppe Costanza. <laughs> Giuseppe Costanza. <laughs> yeah. Love him. Wow. <laughs> I don't know. It's just so... I forgot all about him, but he's just like, eh, eh. You know, <laughs> I mean, I love angry old men, well, and he's, a, he's an angry old man. Well, that's so. what we're here for. There's some secondaries in our top 20 where they're just in one scene or... Yeah. Yeah. a couple of lines yeah. you know yep we really, we really show appreciation for the one-off, uh, the unsung heroes of the show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I don't know. I just, I loved that scene. It's such an awesome, unexpected scene, like him going to Italy. They didn't need it at all. But uh, yeah, and the fact that Frank plays him, and he's just the Italian version of Frank, like he's sort of disgruntled and angry and like really antagonistic. Just, I don't know, something about it. And just the eh, eh, eh. Nice, it's just man. so, so, so unnecessarily aggressive towards him. Love it. Love it. I love that and how he's in there. Yeah. Great. Uh, and I don't actually have my top 20. I have said it in shit probably literally years That's i think fine. but uh i will if i remember probably won't try and do it next week we'll do it at least before we finish the podcast yeah on our final episode we definitely have to do that of course you'll have to have it for that yeah i think so sure. <laughs> i think so anyway speaking of next week we are going to season five and talking about a very good episode i watched a couple of weeks ago the glasses oh nice funny on madam <laughs> george reading the women's frames yes Love it. <laughs> yes and this was another episode of bidwell bask you can find us any on social media i should say facebook twitter instagram reddit and also we have a discord server at b-i-d-w-b-a-s-c you can send us an email if you want to say hello bidwabaskpodcast at gmail.com we don't have too many episodes left we are wrapping up this entire series so we'd love to hear from as many of you as we can and uh yeah tell us what you're up to that's right uh you can support us as well uh by rating or reviewing uh this episode or any previous episodes as well as financially uh check out our patreon and paypal all those details are in the show notes uh and you can check out what you get for a few bucks a month uh and finally we do have the biggest Seinfeld community online, Seinfeldisms. It is a Facebook group. Check it out. Uh, we're up to about 122, 123,000 members as of recording. Yeehaw. Uh, and lots of really, really cool things uh, coming up, which I did talk about in detail at the top of the show. So if you did miss that, go back to around five minutes in and uh, you'll hear all those details. Mm, that's it. Until next week, I'm Stephen. I'm Ivan. And uh, we'll catch you all for the glasses. Take care. Take care.